You are listening to MSP 1337. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and I'd like to thank you for joining us today. Uh, first and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsor, MSP Ignite. MSP Ignite offers a peer group experience that is unique to managed service providers in the technology industry. If you are serious about implementing a model for success through sharing and collaboration of best practices, this is the best way to do it. Head on over to msp-ignite.com to get more information. All right, on to the show. Welcome everybody to this episode of MSP 1337. I'm joined this week by none other than Brian Weiss. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Brian, I totally just drew a blank on the name of your company. Please tell us what the company name is. It is iTech Solutions. Yeah, that was right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, Yeah. San Luis Obispo, California. Um, You and I, you were the first episode of MSP 1337. So it's only... Uh, appropriate to have you back on the show now that we have an audience. So uh, welcome to a show that now has at least two or more uh, listeners. Uh, I won't try to speculate on how many that are not my mother, just, you know, trying to get something so that she can sleep well at night. You and I have had several conversations. Well, we've had lots of conversations since you've come on to the Secure Outcomes Advisory Council. A lot of our conversations have revolved around how to help managed service providers, especially the SMB, which I think most of us in the channel are more or less 15 and under as far as the size of an MSP. And we're inundated with vendors who have sort of the magic pill, the, you know, the jelly bean that will grow the beanstalk. Everybody's got a claim. And and in many cases, because of technology evolving as fast as it has, they're not false claims as far as what the product is capable of doing. But what I think we've learned really fast is if you don't have a champion, if you don't have somebody taking ownership of it, and I can make a list a mile long of things that we need to do when we implement a new product or service, uh, we often fall short on either taking advantage of all the features that it provides, excuse me, or we are uh, remiss to find out that there are features that we didn't know existed and yay, we just signed a contract with another vendor to get that feature that we had no clue was already available on a product we have. So you kind of teed this up multiple times. So I'll throw it, throw it to you just to answer the question, you know, where do you start? And I think that you've said this before, the where do you start is what do I have? And you said this, I think maybe the title of this episode is, is the intent of what the product is doing the expectation of what it's actually doing. Did I say that right? Yes, correct. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I think definitely something I learned the hard way just because I jumped right into thinking a tool could solve everything for me, right? And and looking at all these vendor websites with their sales and marketing and oh, yeah. like, oh, that's what I need, right? Sure. We're going to solve that problem. But really you got to start with, this pillar number one identify you got to know what you're what's out there right not only that what are you responsible for managing right you might have a case where a client's using technology that you're not even responsible for managing but you still want to know they're using it we ran into that with the log4j uh, thing recently where it's like 
hey, there's this um, outside app that we know you use that we're not even managing for you. You need right. to be aware of this vulnerability. And not, maybe that's not even in your contract to, to worry about that, but that could be a, a kind of a supply chain, if you will, threat vector into your network somehow. And, and so identify as step one and most all MSPs already have tools. You know, if you got an RMM, um, something you can look at network uh, devices with, that's really step one, I think, you know, and then taking it to the users too. You know, we've got, if you think of the most common threat vector out there, it's the identity, you know, layer. And so not just what devices, you know, that you're responsible for managing, but also what users, which users. Well, so that, that, that makes me think of a, a question that I think we, ta we tend to ignore. And the question is, where does the line or the where we transition from MSP responsible for to I had no idea I not liable for but I could feasibly invest more time with the client to find out hey you're using you know 365 to authenticate these very insecure apps uh, apps that in your kit what you just said log4j I, I actually had a similar one it's kind of funny because they're like, well, there's nothing we can do about that. That's on a ubiquity controller. And they have, or sorry, not a ubiquity controller. It was a, uh, um, a RAID controller card. And they're like, there's, unless we upgrade the hardware, there's no way to update the, the software on the RAID controller card. And I'm like, but you really know very little about the box other than it was an inexpensive box that you bought five, six years ago. You've told me it's out of warranty. You've given me a lot of things to make me go, I understand the vendor's not updating the software on this thing. Have you considered replacing this thing? And they're like, well, it's just not in our budget. I'm like, well, neither is ransomware. Ransomware is not in anybody's budget. So you, you go back to this, like, I don't know, give and take on we have the conversations. How do we reduce the risk, right? How do we reduce the risk to us? And I think that kind of goes right back to, do we have the tools effectively giving us the answers so that we're not just going in and telling a client log four J bad, you know, you fix, right? Like, I think that's really easy to do. Yeah. I think that, you know, once you get the identify and, and understand you know, and it's devices, it's devices within devices, a RAID controller, for example, right? right? Um, it's software on the devices, what apps, it's the cloud apps, it's what users are accessing what apps, like putting that down on, all on paper and being able to look at, at that, believe it or not, you're naturally going to start realizing areas of improvement that need to be made. Sure. Right? And, and, and then from there, I think the other thing to, to really bring true to clients is they're never going to be 100% secure. They're always going to have vulnerabilities. So you really need to understand, like, you, you almost do like a risk measurement on it, right? Like a client that doesn't have MFA on all of their Office 365 accounts, that is a high risk item that should get addressed first, right? Right. But, but, you're, but you're always, you're trying to be as transparent as possible because the last thing you want is for some vulnerability that you you may have known about or could have known about if you would have identified everything properly that went unnoticed and then caused an issue down the road. And now the client's turning around saying, well, I, I thought you had our back. I thought you were watching this, right? Sure. And, and, and I think 
the hard part too, when we did our security, like change to security first, yeah. is you're, we're literally going back to the vendors we've been working with for years and saying, Hey, you've got all, you've got these vulnerabilities and things you need to fix. And, right. And their, their normal knee jerk reaction is kind of like, well, why I thought that's what we've been paying you for. Right. And, and how we, how we pivoted that really was the idea of well, the cybersecurity landscape has changed, right? We used to have to care about X, Y, Z, and that's what we've been doing all these years. But now there's a lot more letters of the alphabet that we got to worry about, <laughs> right? right? Um, and, and that's what we're bringing to light now. We didn't have to worry about these as much in the past. We definitely need to be able to keep up on this now, especially because you're going to have insurance companies that are going to start wanting proof that you're doing vulnerability management, right? And I guess we're yeah. getting kind of into vulnerability management now with this discussion, but but I, I think it plays nicely, right? Um, well, that's the tools conversation. What do we yeah. what what do we use tools for? We can list off a lot of things, but at the end of the day, most of the tools we use have some function in the vulnerability management space. I'd say almost without fail, 99% of them have some degree of vulnerability management or at least vulnerability identification. So that kind of leads me to my next question. And I think this is, as we get back to more of the tools side of this is, what's the limitation or where should we, again, this is almost like an identical question. Where do we draw the lines? Um, and the reason I bring that up is you brought up vulnerability management. And I keep thinking about like the environments that I've gone through and done scans of, and it's like, yay, they have stuff they don't use anymore. And when I bring it up, the response I get isn't, hey, can you clean that up and remove it from my machine? It's, oh, yeah, don't worry about that. We don't use that anymore. Uh, yeah, but it's there. That's, <laughs> that's like saying, I have filled the tub for a bath. I decided not to take a bath but I just left the water in the tub in case sometime in the future, I want to take a bath, but I don't want to have to refill the tub. Yeah. I mean, it, another example could be, you know, Hey, we've got this back door to our office that no one ever uses anymore. And we're just going to sit there and leave it unlocked because we're not worried about it because no one uses it anyway. Right. Right. No one knows it's there. <laughs> no one, no one knows it's there. No one ever uses it. So, you know, um, yeah, it, it, it can be daunting, right? Because once you identify everything, um, you're, you're then trying to understand what tools can I use to help fill these gaps. And I think it's, it's very important to understand the capabilities of your current tools, which sure. may need to be re-implemented, right? If, if, if you don't have a tool champion, on your team that's keeping up with the latest and greatest features in the roadmap, or, or even that made sure it was implemented completely, you could be using half of a tool that could be doing a lot more for you, right? Right. Um, it's the inspect what to expect, right? If you're gonna get a tool you, and you're expecting it to do something, you wanna implement it, and then inspect it afterward to say, okay, is it doing this for me? Or better yet, before just running to another tool, right. when you identify the problem, see whether or not any of your existing tool sets can solve that problem. The log4j that came out, we didn't have a, a vulnerability like scanning management right. system. We were lucky enough to be using data RMM. They came out with a component and that's what we ran to identify it, right? Which that, that's a, a huge, uh, statement I think that's a change in our entire industry is that what used to be like hey 
you know, in the next patch cycle, your product will do detection for log 4j or whatever it might be. Today, it's like, oh, by the way, uh, as soon as we found out about this, we pushed this out to your RMM tool across the board. It's now looking for it. And you're like, ah, I can sleep at night. My tool is doing more than, than what I <laughs> expect it to, but I need it to do those things, right? Um, do you think that the evolution of our clients is growing in a direction where they are starting to recognize their need to participate in these tools or, 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 you know, not what the tool does per se, but when you talk to them about what our tools have found, what we have found in their environments, that they're more willing to participate in that change that, Hey, we can't just leave stuff there. We can't just say, Oh, well, no one uses that door. So we really don't need to lock it because, you know, if no one's using it, why lock it? Really good question, and um, I, I would say there's a couple driving factors there that that makes that that make that true. Number one is the the news, right? There's a lot more stories in the news about these larger companies or even small companies uh, getting hit by threat actors. Um, you also have insurance companies that are starting to ask additional questions on their applications that they didn't sure. ask before, that are making clients realize you know, hey, I, maybe I need to be a little more involved in this because we always tell clients, we want, we want you to be able to fill the form out, right? We're, we're right. not going to fill it out for you. you. You should know the answer to those questions, right. you know, ultimately. And, um, and then, but, but it, on the same side, I think it comes down to the risk tolerance of the client, right? You're going to have some clients that just have that. I've been doing this for, this way for the last 10 years. I don't see why I can't continue or the, the fringe clients. We had a client that we loved working with that we ended up parting ways. They didn't want to pay for all the extra security and, and everything. We wanted to move them to M3, M365. And, and the conversation came down to this question. I was like, if all your computers stopped running tomorrow, would you still be able to do business? And he says, yeah. He, he services generators. Like he sells and services backup <clears throat> generators that aren't even IoT devices that his guys don't even use a computer to do that work, right? And he could yeah. literally go go back to paper if he had to, you know? So, you know, there is, I think, depending on the type of client, depending on their risk tolerance, depending on how well they educate themselves and stay up on, you know, what's going on in the world. Sure. And, and, if, and if they even care about insurance, you get a client that doesn't even have basic insurance, they're going to care less about cybersecurity insurance. Well, it's funny you say that. I actually have a, a client that I'm working with right now. Um, in the, you know, a lot of businesses are quick to say, we really don't have that kind of budget to make those changes. And then they ask you to start helping them fill out an insurance questionnaire. And I had one the other day come back and the policy for the insurance was like way higher than I was remotely thinking that the, per, the carrier would come back with as the, the insurance coverage. And, and the more I thought about it, I'm like, they really don't know what they're worth, but the insurance company does, which means we need to get some alignments changed here. <laughs> like you're not wanting to spend money on this stuff over here that would ensure that if you ever did need to have an insurance claim, you get the dollars. Yeah. And, well, and I had an interesting discussion with one of our longtime clients who got cybersecurity insurance and he was looking at like a million or a $3 million policy. And, and he was, you know, by the end of our conversation, it was like, you're buying this because you hope you never have to use it. 
Right. But it's but it's there just in case, right? You you don't want to buy cyber in, uh, security insurance and then not spend money on security because you think you're covered by your insurance if something happens. Which we actually had another client that had that opinion and and is a large enough client to where they need an outsourced MSP along with their internal IT guy. And they basically said, oh, we think our internal IT guy has this. We don't need your help anymore. We've got cybersecurity insurance in case something goes wrong. Yeah. And this is after I told them about all their security gaps they have, to, to which the internal IT guy really, it was really over his skill set to even uh, understand the, the, the threat, um, you know, how, how high of a risk it was. Like to him, it was even kind of like, I've got my antivirus and I've got my firewall. I'm good to go. Right. And, and what does that even mean anymore? Right. Like I, I had this, I had a client do uh, the, to the pass a control. They had to have the, they had to have FIPS certified, which watch and some others, you get this, you know, some cases it's a hardware add on in other cases, like, like say Sophos, it's a checkbox. Can you turn on FIPS encryption or FIPS level encryption? Check here. And it was an interesting conversation because in their mind, up until this point, their firewall was, you know, doing all the things that it needed to. And it was that mindset of, I have the box, it's plugged in and stuff flows through it. Therefore we're protected. And when we really got looking at it and looking at firewall rules and subscriptions, it's like, you do realize your security subscription has been expired now for like six months. It's so good that you bought the FIPS encryption module to, you know, be compliant. So that's the inspect what to expect, right? It's like, okay, we put this in, is it doing its job? You can't just walk away from it. Even when you confirm it's doing its job, you got to go back and verify, right? You got to, but isn't that the bigger problem? So to your point of the inspect, what to expect. So I think about any time I'm working with a new client and you get the, the word vomit of how they're unhappy with a previous MSP or they just don't feel like the security focus is where it needs to be or, or any number of excuses. But by and large, if you start asking them questions, especially the ones that have internal uh, resources, maybe internal IT ops or, or some of those things where it's more of a hybrid model, maybe they're just coming to you for specific things. Um, and you go through and answer all the questions and you find out like, wow, their security posture based on this questionnaire. I mean, I'm not sure why they, they need us, but like, let's, let's do a deeper dive. Right. And then you put the tools in and then the tools come back and tell you things like, huh, maybe that's what I should have expected. Right. When we did the inspect. And then you've got the client that says like, I, that, that doesn't make any sense. Or like the sock vendor that we're using, why wouldn't they have caught this stuff? And it's like, well, what are you paying your sock vendor actually to do? Um, what are they responsible for as far as what they manage for you? And what you find out really fast or what I found out really fast is that a lot of these third-party vendors that provide SOC services, uh, SIM and, and SOAR type uh, services to clients, um, if you don't read the fine print, uh, there's a lot of stuff that they're not actually collecting data on that any third party that comes in and runs a tool that's new to the environment is going to find Definitely some things, but probably a lot of things that that other vendor is not doing. And it doesn't make that vendor bad or that it's that vendor's fault. It's that the client, you know, kind of to your point, we're, we're consuming news, but are we understanding what we need to be communicating to our vendors as far as what we're concerned about? 
Yeah, the, the thought um, discussion is an interesting one because as I learned more about, you know, what a SOC is, right? I mean, a SOC typically you got, hopefully you've got 24 seven, you know, security professionals. Some of these are only eight to five. You'd be surprised. It's like, oh, in the fine print, we were eight to five. And it's like, well, wait a second. The threat actors do most of their work outside of those hours, right? So why would I care to have you eight to five? If anything, I want you after hours, you know? So that's step one. But then what, what are they... They're as good as the information they see, really, right? So, you, are you sending them logs from all your, you know, firewalls? Do they have an agent where they're pulling, you know, EDR information? Is where is that going? It's typically going into a sim. How much of it are they getting? Are they missing some that they should get, sure. or are they getting way too much? If you've got a sock that's looking <coughs> at nothing but false positives all day, they're going to very easily skim over something that they should have looked into. So then now you're kind of building the perfect mousetrap to try to cut out all the false positives, sure. right? And, and, and understand what that looks like. And then you've got a question of, well, what's the response time? How long does it take for a potential alert to even get in front of my, my SOC's eyes? Is there a 15 minute delay from when that alert happens and it actually gets into the SIM for them to then see it? Sure. You know? Yeah. I think you get into what's realistic first. So yeah. I had, when we... I've dealt, I've dealt more with getting clients that have had breach and serious, you know, there was no incident response plan. And, and in those cases, it's like, okay, time of incident to notification, you know, 15 minutes. And then at two hours, you know, phone calls and additional escalation was happening. And then seven hours later, you know, someone gets to the office and it's like, Hey, I can't log into my machine. And, and now everybody's like, well, it's the vendor's fault. And it's like, well, no, I don't know that you can put the blame on the vendor. If your incident response plan didn't have a good communication path and it broke somewhere, finger pointing is not going to solve the problem. In fact, I did an episode on finger pointing because that's, that's usually when it happens. Bad things happen. They're like, you're fired. And the reality is you just basically got rid of the one organization probably that can help you recover the quickest in, in your, in your anger. I, I, I think where we fall short as we were talking about SIM, SOAR, all these tools that we can use with our clients, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think we fall short with trying to give them information that they don't understand. And I'll give you an example. I, I was recently working with a client who has an outsourced SOC. They've brought me on as their CISO. So I'm now on all of their monthly calls with the SOC that wants to go over looking at the last 30 days. This is what we've found. And, you know, all of that typical drama. The second month that I was on, it went from like lots of stuff going on to nothing going on. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense. I, I can't imagine any environment that's not noisy even if it's not dangerous, right? Like the, the noise should still show up low. And, and so we went from like, three critical the previous month with maybe 50 to a hundred medium and high risk things that, okay, no big deal to a month that says, here's 150 FYIs, like low, like something's missing here. Well, they weren't wrong. This goes back to what data is being collected, but it also goes to what information is being shared. Like what they find out later, they're like anything that we addressed as false positives, we didn't include in this report. Like, but 
we need to see that we need to we need to see the pattern of false positives like saying like if if october was full of uh attacks from china and then you do the whole uh geo filtering and you know geo blocking and then the following month it's very similar pattern but from a different country wouldn't you also want to see what was the previous month kind of as a in there like hey that was china was the previous month and now we're getting hit here we need to have a conversation. Something's going on. This isn't just like random traffic anymore. And the client didn't know that. The client didn't know how to ask those questions. And I think that's one of the things that we have to be conscious of is the clients don't necessarily know what to ask for. And we don't necessarily know what information is pertinent until we've done a cycle of maybe two or three times and we own the environment. Is that is that fair? I mean, What's your experience like with that? I mean, because I, I don't think you just go in and be like, hey, look what I found. Here's the report. And then you use that same report every time or do you start using different reports to make sure that you're still providing, you know, valuable information? So you definitely don't want to flood the client with information that they don't care about. I mean, that's right. one thing, but you also have to... Uh, show the value of the service, right? So like our sock that we use, I mean, I can't remember the last time we had a ticket from them. I mean, part of that's just because of the um, security posture we use with our clients. Sure. Where it, it doesn't create, you know, things they have to address. But then you might question, well, do I even need a sock then? If, if they're never acting on anything, well, what you don't realize is they are. I mean, they are monitoring all and, and seeing false positives, things that are legit. And, and so I, I, we're paying them for that and in the chance that something does get through, right? I see them as almost like an insurance plan of a team of people that have IR down and, and that can be actionable to help us with things, right? Right. And, and be the ones blowing up our phones when something needs to be addressed so it doesn't wait you know, seven hours later when we get the client telling us they can't log into something all of a sudden. Um, so that that's really where I think, you know, it, you know, is a big difference. I'm going to use the word actionable sock versus not sure. actionable sock. Like, are they just collecting alerts and then sending you something you need to actually go do to fix? Or they do they have the ability to go in and stop a threat based on some pre-designed playbooks you gave them, right? Hey, right. if XYZ happens, you have authority to do this, right? Isolate the device or whatever it may be. Um, so, so, but I think back to the client discussion, right? How do you display that value? It really is down to the fact that most of these attacks happen after hours, you know? Right. And, or or when someone's not present. When someone's not present. And, and so as MSPs, there's no way we can have a 24-7 staff and reasonably react properly to that. So you, you're almost forced to have to find someone that's going to monitor that for you if you want to be delivering a decent level of quality. A after the Kaseya event that happened last year, Right. Um, I, I went to my client, all our clients didn't have sock service yet with MDR. I was like, we need to get this in now. And I got, you know, luckily a good saturation of our clients, but there's still some stragglers, but that, but after that happened, even though we don't use Kaseya, I was still concerned, like, sure. just because I felt for everyone that did use Kaseya. And I'm like, man, if I was in their boots, I, I wouldn't feel safe unless a sock was watching all my clients. 
so which I is naturally... which is the reality of all of your it doesn't matter yeah. i mean you've heard the statements like well i'm leaving kaseya because of the event and it's like so that you can go do this again with somebody else who hasn't had this happen to him yet i mean yeah well i mean we're watching what's happening with microsoft right with uh was it teams i can't remember now that there was a no it was in uh it's with email you there's now some sort of exploit that needs to get patched right away and they're like it's never been done in the wild yet but don't wait until the wild wild happens and i think that that's some of the areas that clients are notorious for saying well you know no one's gonna it's not gonna happen to me you know no one knows who i am and you're like but they're not necessarily looking for you. And if they stumble upon you, which has a relatively high probability based on the flags you're waving, like, hey, look at me. I don't really care about security. Oh, hey, we should probably investigate that one, right? Well, let's get back to that client discussion because that is a challenge for a lot of MSPs. And we've, we've moved more into the enterprise space because the effort it takes working with a small business and educating them on security and getting them to invest in it we, we feel waste a ton of our time. Whereas we go to these larger enterprise clients and there are, they're asking the questions that we're wishing our small business clients asked. Right. Well, let's talk but, about that specifically for a minute. Like the, when yeah. you say enterprise. So one of the things that comes, comes into my head is, so I'll, I'll just give you a client, an example of two clients that I would argue um, based on size of organization, you tell me, so I have a construction company that has 50 minus 50 employees. So they're definitely not above 50. They're below 50 spread out. Most of their offices are job trailers with two or three people in them. There's one. Then I have another company that has, uh, they have uh, 1700 employees and they have full-blown in-house IT. So obviously relatively large, they have 55 office locations. They're, they're what I would call bigger which one's enterprise? Uh, that, that's, enough, that's a great thing to point out. I consider anything enterprise, any client enterprise, even if they have enterprise clients themselves, they may not be the size of an enterprise company, like per numbers. Got it. But just the fact they service clients that are enterprise, I consider that enterprise. That's perfect. So, that's a great right? way to, that's a great way to couch it because essentially you're saying, and this is the way I would look at an MSP, right? If I look at your client portfolio and 80, 90% of your clients are two, three man operations that do taxes for, you know, the, the typical homeowner. Um, okay. But what's the other 10% or 20%? Oh, you, you service a fortune 500 fortune 100. Then I see you as enterprise, right? I am now as an MSP, I have to be treated and focused on my organization, just like any other enterprise business, because the stakes are so much higher. When you're, you're in the supply chain and the ultimate end client is your client's client, right? And, right, the supply chain, so, right? Yeah, so that's that's kind of the, the I, I think that's really, maybe that's how we should start looking at things now, right? With, with the fact that if you're in a supply chain where the end end client is enterprise, regardless of any, if anyone up that chain is enterprise, <clears throat> you're ultimately serving to an enterprise client, right? I really like that, Brian. I think that says a lot. I think that says a lot about what we should be thinking about as we take on risk, which is new client or a client takes on new risk, which is their client. And you think about the, the supply chain in and of itself. And, you know, a lot of people are dealing with the new CMMC rules and, you know, dealing with government type stuff. And it's like, if you're the MSP and the first person in your supply chain that you're working with 
is, is the guy that makes wiring harnesses for F-18 fighter jets. And there's six of those guys and that's all they do. Okay. Is that really where my problem lies? Probably not. It's when you look downstream at who their clients are that you're like, wait a second. Hey guys, these are the things that we need to do in your environment because your client, your supply chain. Oh, by the way, you're getting all your parts from this unnamed country. And downstream from you is this unnamed DOD entity. Um, maybe we need to have a different kind of conversation. I, I don't think we do a good job of recognizing how high the stakes are when we look at our, our uh, say that one degree out, right? The, the first supply chain you know doorway or the you know the the one that's writing us checks right we we just we are we're, our blinders are on only to that that degree of of implementation when the reality is every client we talk to should be what are the risks because of who they service and that's probably why we're seeing more smaller businesses start to ask more questions because they've got their clients who are enterprise coming to them now and saying, Hey, do you have this in place? Even though they're a small business, right? Which then is coming back to us as the MSP. So, yeah. There's four ways, right? There's four ways yeah. that this happens. One is you, you're the MSP. You, you are taking that to them. So that's one way. The second one is their insurance, right? That's the second one. The third one is their client, right? Or clients. And then the fourth one is bad thing happened. And now there's some third party that's involved in this investigation that is now forcing that, that fourth one. You pray that the fourth one is never the reason that the, the, all the other things have happened prior to the fourth one. So that when the fourth one does happen, eventually the other three were far enough in advance that you were able to implement and execute so that the intent was what you expect. And, and so, so MSP struggling getting this message to small businesses, we actually had discussions with certain clients where we said, you know, because we had our 2018 event where half our clients got right. ransomware <clears throat> through an old RMM. Hey, at least there's only and, half. Yeah. Um, and, and, and we see, we, after that, we're like, all right, clients are a shared risk, right? Yep. Not, I mean, we were a risk technically to the clients. We got sure. our house in, you know, you get your own house in order. Right. But technically now your clients, if their houses aren't in order, that's a shared risk. And so- Well, not just we, shared with you, but shared with all of your clients, right? Yep. And, 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 and so we explain that to clients that, hey, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not set up with a security posture that we feel like we can sleep at night with, that's a risk to us where one day we can come in, you've been hit, hopefully nothing leaks back up our right. way, you know, if we've got our security in, in process, but at the very least, we've got to drop everything we're doing when we should normally be focusing on our day-to-day -day stuff with our other clients and address your emergency, which puts a lot of stress on our team, right? Um, you're, you know, it's going to uh, hinder our relationship. There's going to be probably blame, right? Uh, and, and so you're, we're very transparent to the point where it's like, hey, um, if we can't get you up to par within so much time, we're probably going to have to part ways, right? We're going to have to find you another IT company that's willing to take on that shared risk because we're in a position where we can no longer do that. And, and, and we're even looking at redoing um, our service plans. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give some uh, love to Bob Coppage because he's the one who initially told me about this, but um, where you version them every year. You're like yeah. a software company. 
right? And then, and then in your contracts and in your conversations with your clients is, hey, I never want you to be more than two versions behind. So it's not like every beginning of every year, it's this big push. I got to get everyone on this new, you know, and there might right. not even be change. There might not even be that many changes year to year. Maybe one year there's a lot I, of changes. I think that goes to the same as policies, right? It's not necessarily that there are changes. It's that you have made a conscious effort and they've been reviewed on a consistent basis. And no one wants to do it more than once a year. Auditors don't want to see changes more than once a year. That is a great, that is a great way to do it. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you one more question. Um, and it, it was kind of in my head as you started describing the prior to describing like, you know, when you might part ways. And I don't want to frame it where it's like, what's the magic? We're 90 days in. You haven't said yes to these things. Uh, we got to part ways. But the reason I want to ask this question, and, and this is selfish partly on my part, because I'm dealing with this right now. How do you take a client who is obviously going to point the finger back at you to say, well, it just wasn't clear, you know, when we were going to get to said destination or that pit stop in our journey together. How do you help them pull the trigger on things? Like, I'll just give you an example. I got a client right now that we've had on the plate for security assessment for their environment since November. Right now, I'm going to have a meeting with them tomorrow to talk about doing the security assessment because they don't feel we're giving them a good enough roadmap towards compliance. And we're like, the roadmap comes from us understanding where you are today in your journey so that we can paint the picture of what it's going to take to get to where you want to be six months from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. It start, you got to start somewhere. Do you run into that where it's like, okay, Guys, parting ways or not, you still haven't signed, you know, outside of onboarding as a, as a managed service client. So one of the things we do is we create a baseline, right? You got to have a baseline that you're starting from, which is that assessment you're talking about. So we, we can't even discuss roadmaps, costs, anything until we have a baseline. And so is in that, fairness, are you charging? So... I'm, treat me, I'm a, I'm a prospect client and I've, I've come to you. I'm like, Brian, I think what your company seems to offer because you had a pretty shiny website and you're the first result in the Google, you know, walk me through what's step one in us doing business together. Is it, you know, we sign an agreement, managed services. Hey, we have 50 seats. We've got a hundred employees, whatever it might be. And, and we engage, or are you saying like, Hey, to engage, which would be that's part two, you're doing this security assessment for X dollars. Cause I'm, I'm, I've had enough of the whole, yeah, we do yeah. security assessments for free. I'm like, then you're not doing a security assessment. So, so I will tell you our existing clients, we did them for free, right? Because if we've been working with them for so sure. long, Understood. we're, you know, but, but a brand new client coming on, not only is that part of the onboarding fee, but there are requirements too. like, let's say they're on G suite. Well, we're not a G suite house. We can support it with like an existing legacy client that we're still trying to get off of it. Sure. But if we're not going to take on a new client on G suite, unless they've agreed ahead of time, they will move to Microsoft 365. And that's part of the project, right? Part of an onboarding project. Right. So there's certain things where, um, if they aren't on certain technology, um, the security assessment is just going to look bad anyway. Right. So it's like, hey, we're going to take you on. We're going to put this data Cirrus back in, back up in right away. 
we might replace your firewall, right. depending on the situation. Like there's certain standards that we want to have in place to be able to manage them properly and, and, and have a good foundation to build security from. Sure. That That is also required. Well, that goes into that whole cost challenge too, right? Like we use Google or whatever it might be. And it's like, and look at how much we're saving over if we were on 365. And you're like, well, let's look at what you're doing. So 15 employees have left your organization and you're still paying the X dollars a month for those seats. It really doesn't matter. We can move you over here and drop some of those seats. So yeah, because clients are always right anyways. So, so, you know. Brian, uh, it's it is that time. I appreciate you being taking time out of your day to join me on MSP thirteen thirty seven. Uh, any last words to the audience? No, I, I would just say, um, you know, for those of you new to security, like I was, you know, a few years ago, um, actually going on four years now. Wow, um, you just have to dedicate time to it. You know start off with as little as an hour a week where you're talking with your team about it, get your team to buy in on it. It's hard to push security without your team's buy-in. Um, but just get those discussions happening internally. Naturally security is going to come front of mind for your team. And then that's going to flow into discussions with your clients. Awesome. Well, everybody, this has been an episode of MSP 1337. Thanks and have a great week.